Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us how God gives us a time for a purpose, as he did Noah. But he also gives us space to repent, as God gave those in Noah's day before they perished. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org. Let's start, begin in prayer. Father, thank you so much for being our teaching Father, our instructing Father, our guiding Father. And this morning, Lord, we present ourselves to you as your students that want to be taught and instructed and guided. So lead us, O thou great Jehovah, in Jesus' name, amen. Now, if you turn in uh, Genesis chapter 6, continuing this verses here, it's a marvelous passage. Uh, Genesis 6, verse 1. And it came to pass when men began to multiply on the face of the earth, and daughters were born unto them, that the sons of God saw the daughters of men. They were fair, took them wives of all that they chose. And the Lord said, My spirit shall not always strive with man, for that he also is flesh, yet his days shall be a hundred and twenty years. There were giants in the earth in those days, also that when the sons of God came in unto the daughters of men and bare children to them. Same became mighty men which were of old, men of renown. God saw the wickedness of man who was great in the earth, and every imagination of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. And it repented the Lord that he had made man on the earth, and it grieved him at his heart. And the Lord said, I will destroy man whom I have created from the face of the earth, both man and beast and the creeping thing and the fowls of the air, for it repenteth me that I have made them. But Noah found grace in the eyes of the Lord. So last week, we've been studying the amazing statement that we see here in verse 3, which is that God's spirit strives with man. And that's what we've done. We've looked at that word strive, dun, which means to umpire or to referee. And we looked at it very carefully and we saw how God, the great umpire, works through our conscious, but he's overruling our opinions and calling everything like it should be called. We say not so bad, he says sin, guilty. We've seen that this striving starts when people are born, when we're born at birth. We saw that from John 1, 9, that striving was called a light. That was a true light that lights every man that comes into the world. We looked at how this wonderful striver who is the Spirit of Christ, God the Spirit, the Holy Spirit, and we saw how he is the great guide. He guides us into all truth. He guided us to the Lord Jesus Christ. He guided us to the cross. He guided us to see the wounds and the, and the bruises and the stripes of the Lord. And he guided us to understand that those wounds were for our transgressions, those bruises for our, our iniquities, those stripes were for our healings. He guided us into all this understanding. And he guided us to understand that at that cross was a particular place where our sins were paid for. He guided us to understand that at that cross was the place where our enemy, the devil, was destroyed. And he guides us and he guided us to hear the call of the Lord Jesus Christ and to realize that he was speaking to us when he said, Come unto me, all you that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. And when we knew that the Lord Jesus Christ was inviting us personally, he then guided us to feel an urgency to make that correct decision immediately. That it was really a matter, as it says in 2 Corinthians 6, 2, it was a matter of, behold, now 
is the accepted time. Behold, now is the day of salvation. He guided us to see all these things. He guided us to know that if we would even think of turning back and deciding not to accept that invitation, then he guided us to understand what we would be turning back to. As it says in Hebrews 10, 38 to 30, man, if any man draw back, my soul shall have no pleasure of him, but we are not of them. He guided us to understand that we are not of them that turn back unto perdition. He guided us to understand that the turn away from the Lord Jesus Christ was to turn to perdition. And he guided us to understand that the Lord Jesus Christ was asking us and is asking us to yield our members to him, to yield our feet to him, to yield our heart to him, our hands, our ears, our eyes, our head, our mouth. He guides us to understand that he wants to walk through our feet to the lost, to see through our eyes the desperate condition of the lost, to love the lost through our hearts, to help the lost through our hands, to hear what the lost are saying in particular, and then he wants to use our mind to devise through our heads for the lost just the right words so that they come out And they amaze us when they come out like apples of gold in pictures of silver. And then through our mouths, he wants to use those to speak his word that will not return unto him void, but will prosper for where he sends it. We saw all that as we considered the Spirit of God striving with man. But now, let's consider one very important word in that verse, in verse 3, and that is the word not. It says, my spirit shall not always strive. So we've talked about the amazing part that God does strive with man. God's spirit does strive with man. But here, this opens up a whole new realm of understanding for us. It is a limiting verse when it says that. It's a limiting word. The word not teaches us that the spirit of God and his striving has a limit has a limit to it. Most people just live their lives as if they have no end. It's amazing. And they, they have trouble in their lives, and they just grit their teeth and the stiff upper lip, and I'll get through it. You know? It's just like uh, Senator Specter, who died of non-Hodgkin's lymphoma on October 14th. But in 2005, when his cancer came back, he said, I have beaten a brain tumor, bypass heart surgery, and many tough political opponents, and I'm going to beat this too. And that's how most people look at life and problems. The problems that come up, there are opponents to be beaten. But God uses troubles, and he uses problems to get our attention and to bring us back to this truth of the limit, the limitation of life. It says in Job 5, 7 through 8, Man is born unto trouble as the sparks fly upward. I would seek unto God, and unto God would I commit my cause. What he's saying there, God allows these troubles to come into our life. Sparks, one right after the other, all over. But, as Job said, what did they cause for him? To seek the Lord, to seek God, and to commit his cause to him. And that's what God wants. And if a man all through his life remains obstinate, remains resistant, then God's mercy has a limit, and he won't strive with man anymore. 
Death is a tragedy. It's a tragedy, death. I mean, no one's really ready for death. People say, you know, I'm, I'm ready to die. No one's really ready. Everything living resists death. Horses don't want to die. And, and when someone dies, the first question we ask, well, well, how old was he? You know, why do we ask that question? How old was he? Because we have a calculator going on in our minds. And we think to ourselves, well, okay, that's about the time, he, you know. Because on August 19th, 2009, it was interesting. The Center for Disease Control made a press release in 2009. And they said that in three years time since 2006 to 2009, the life expectancy for men was, was 75.3 years and women was 80.4. So the combined was 77.9 years. And the press release was to announce that in 2006, three years earlier, it was 77.7. So they'd been so successful in their medical advance that in three years, everybody's living 72 days longer. <laughs> and I'm sure that in, in 2009 that you experienced that great relief <laughs> as you read that press release that to know that you'll have 72 days longer to live now because of all the work and great cost. But man's life has a limit and a line has been drawn in the sand where for each of us, we don't know what that is, but in this particular case, they knew because God drew that line and he said, the time you have to reach that line is 120 years. And then it says in Hebrews 9.27, it's appointed, it's appointed unto men once to die. After that, the judgment. That's the line. So what purpose did God have for telling Noah how many days there would be? There'd be just 120 years. Why did God announce that? Because for God, time represents opportunity. Time represents opportunity. It's an opportunity for man to open the door of God's grace. Big sign over this door, God's grace, but man has to take the handle and open it. And it's an opportunity God wanted man to know that his time was coming to a close and he'd have to repent. This is particularly emphasized in Revelation 2.20 where it speaks about Jezebel and it says like this, Notwithstanding, I have a few things against thee, to the church he was addressing, because thou sufferest that woman Jezebel, which calleth herself a prophetess to teach and to seduce my servants to commit fornication and to eat things sacrificed to idols. And here's the verse. And I gave her space to repent of her fornication, and she repented not. Very, very interesting. Space to repent is what it's called there, time, time or opportunity. He said, I gave her space to repent. So the time or the opportunity was a gift from God. It was a gift from God. And it, no matter how much time is given, everybody says it's not enough, but God says it's a space. It's a space for a purpose. It's a space to repent. And that was the reason he told Noah that they had 120 years, because as far as Noah's concerned, he had two jobs to focus on. One, build the ark. you got to get it done. So don't start with the tomorrow, uh, I'll do it. Do it today. Second, preach. Noah was a preacher. Preach to persuade the people to repent and get in the ark. And those of the 120 years was not just a time 
for them to, okay, now you only got 120 years to enjoy this world, so you better enjoy it. You only live once. Do everything you're going to do before you die or exist. No, no, no. It was a time for a purpose to get things done. Tom, that was an interesting concept, that God gives us a time for a purpose. Now, what are some of the examples in the Bible of those who understood that God gave them a time for a purpose. Yeah, it's so important. You know, oftentimes it's spoken about how somebody will look at a tombstone and they will see the date of the birth and they'll see the date of the death and then so much important is put into the dash, the dash between and the and the question which comes, how did you, how did this person spend his dash and how are we spending our dash? God wants us to find his purpose for our lives. He wants us to pursue with all of our heart through our lives his purpose, and he wants us to finish the purpose that he's given to us. You know, this is something that the cousin of Esther, Mordecai, understood. And he said this to Esther when she was the queen there, and it says in Esther 4.14, Mordecai said, for if thou altogether holdest thy peace at this time. See, he really put the emphasis on the time. And of course, this was the time when she had the golden opportunity to save the Jewish people by exposing Haman and asking for the life of the Jewish people to her husband, the king. And so he said, Mordecai said, at this time, then shall there enlargement and deliverance arise to the Jews from another place, but thou and thy father's house shall be destroyed. And who knoweth whether thou art come to the kingdom for such a time as this. See what he was saying? He was saying, if you altogether hold your peace at this time, and he was saying, you have been brought into the kingdom for such a time as this. This is your shining moment, Esther. This is the time for you to step onto the stage of God's world there and to see your purpose, find your purpose, and to and to fulfill your purpose right now, Esther, is what she did. And so the Jewish people were saved. See, she saw that God had given her a time for a purpose. She had the time of being the queen of Persia for the purpose of saving God's people, the Jewish people. This is something we also see in the life of Paul. When Paul was speaking about his life, he said in Galatians 1.15 through 16, but when it pleased God who separated me from my mother's womb and called me by his grace to reveal his son in me that I might preach him among the heathen. Immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. What Paul saw and understood so well was that everything depended on Paul understanding and seeing The Lord Jesus Christ was inside of him in the person of his Holy Spirit. That's what he meant when he said that God revealed his son in me. And when Paul saw that God was living inside of him as his temple, then Paul saw, I have the ability to preach the Lord Jesus Christ among the heathen. And then he said, immediately, he went and did it. So Paul said, I got the ability I got the encouragement when I realized that God the Holy Spirit 
the spirit of Christ, as he's called, was in me. And when that was revealed to me, then I went and I knew my purpose, which was to preach the Lord Jesus Christ among the heathen. And he went and he fulfilled his purpose. Another case we see, another situation, is in the case of Moses. Moses, it says it was, it was a man who had a purpose. He was the great deliverer of Israel out of Egypt. Moses was God's man. Moses was the man that God used. It says that he used the hand of Moses to deliver the Jewish people who were totally, 100% enslaved into the hand of the Egyptian people. And God used Moses to break the hand of the Egyptian people. God used Moses to break the jaw of the lion of the Egyptian people so that the Jewish people could be released out of the clutches and out of the, out of the jaw teeth of the lion Egypt. And so what it says here in Acts 7.25, what Stephen said as his last words that he spoke before he was martyred, and he said about Moses in Acts 7.25, for he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. So what that's saying is that Moses understood that God by his hand would deliver the Jewish people. Moses knew this was his purpose. That's why Moses went out and killed the Egyptian beater of the Jewish people and buried him in the sand, because he understood that God by his hand would deliver the Jewish people. That was like a event on the first day that he went out was like a prophecy because later God did by Moses' hand kill the Egyptian people and buried them in the sand of the Red Sea. God did do that, but he understood this. He lived for this. He knew that he had a time of his life, which he'd had that limited time, and he fulfilled it. He fulfilled it by God, who God called Moses his friend that he spoke to face-to-face. He said, I have a special relationship with him. And, and, so, and so Moses was able to do that. You know, there was a situation with David which would have been, which was very difficult for David. But it's interesting that David accepted the purpose that God gave him. David had within his heart to make the temple for God, to make God's house. That was in David's heart. And David went about to do this, and then the prophet Nathan says, no, David, God does not want you to do that because you have too much blood on your hands, but your son Solomon is going to do that. So your role, David, is just to prepare everything for Solomon. Now, it would have been very easy for David to say, no way, it's in my heart, I'm the father, I'm the king, I'm not going to be someone who's just going to prepare for Solomon. I mean, what's Solomon? He's wet behind the ears. But David didn't take that position. David didn't take that attitude. David said, if that's the purpose that God has called me to, even if it's to wait on tables, I'll do it with all my heart. And even if it's to prepare for Solomon, who is young and tender, David said, I'll do it with all my might. And this was given to us in 1 Chronicles 22.5, where it says, and David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender. And the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries. Now, if we just stop there, 
David could very well have said, Solomon, he's young, he's tender, he's a squirt, he's wet behind the ears, and the house to be builded must be exceeding magnificent. I'm the one who's qualified to do that. I'm the great king of Israel. I'm the only one who can build this house, who can make it of fame and of glory throughout all countries, as you described there. Not Solomon, but no, no, not David, because David was a humble man. David was very much like Moses, who was the meekest man on the earth. But David was like that. David was like the Lord Jesus Christ, who said, I am meek and lowly in heart. David said, if that's what God has called me to do with all my heart, I will serve my son. The father will serve my the son, even though the son is young and tender. And so David goes on to say, and I'll read it again. David said, Solomon, my son, is young and tender, and the house that is to be builded for the Lord must be exceeding magnifical of fame and of glory throughout all countries. I will therefore now make preparation for it. So David prepared abundantly before his death. David accepted God's purpose. You know, that was something that we really get out of this, a sterling example of David. Whatever he calls me to do, I will do it. That was the attitude of David. Wherever he sends me, I will do it. That was the attitude of David. And David said, even if it's to serve my son, who's young and tender, David's attitude was, it's not, my, it's not about my son. It's about God who's called me to do this. And so he said, I will therefore now make preparation for it. And when it says David prepared abundantly before his death, that's the whole point here, that he was saying, I have a time for a purpose. I have a time in my life for a purpose. I want, David could have said, I really want with all my heart. It was my idea to build this temple. I want to do it. But God said, no, you can't do it. You have too much blood. So David said, then I will do it through my son and I will prepare. And even though he does it and it won't be called David's temple, it'll be called Solomon's temple. I'll rejoice because I want the temple built and God's calling to me is to prepare for it. And so David prepared prepared abundantly before his death. And what's not written, but what we understand is David did not resent taking the second place and not having the temple called David's temple, but be called Solomon's temple. What a great lesson this is for us that David prepared abundantly before his death. And so we also should look to God and say, God, whatever your calling is for me in my life, whatever your purpose is for me in my life, even if it's to, even if a wife says it's to serve my husband, then I will do it abundantly before my death. Because, Lord, it's a service to you. It's a service as unto the Lord. You know, in Isaiah 46, 11, God makes, speaks these words. He said, I have spoken it. I also will bring it to pass. I have purposed it. I also will do it. That's like a guide for us. That's like a pattern for us that we can say, Lord, you have given me this purpose. I have then married to this purpose. I've adopted this as my purpose. This is my purpose. I will do it because it comes from God. This is a, it speaks about the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ in 1 John 3, 8, where it says that for this purpose, the Son of God will 
was manifested that he might destroy the works of the devil. You know, we look at our Lord Jesus Christ, we say our master, our pattern, our guide. And when we see him here, when what he did with his purpose, we say that's the way we should go after the purpose in our life that God gives to us. What does it say here? It says this was the purpose that he was manifested when he came to this earth. He realized my purpose to destroy the works of the devil. That word destroy, luo, in the Greek there means to dissolve it, to disintegrate it, to dismantle it, to take it apart. He looked on the works of the devil. He saw the strategies. He saw all of the ways that the devil has made in order to deceive people so they'll be cast into hell. And he says, I'm going to take them apart piece by piece. I'm going to dissolve it. I'm going to disintegrate it. And he says, this is the reason why I have been manifested that I might destroy or take apart the works of the devil, which he did at the cross when he died for our sins so that we can go to heaven. That's our pattern. That's our Savior. That's the Lord Jesus Christ, the great purpose fulfiller. Thank you for joining us today. Now, do you have a Jewish friend or know of a Jewish person that needs to be reached with the gospel? Would you like to have a free Tom Cantor DVD and booklet sent to your Jewish friend? Well, you can do that by contacting us at Israel Restoration Ministries and the Friendship with God radio program at 1 800 247 3051. That's 1 800 Help the Lord to reach His lost nation of Jewish people by you giving them a Tom Cantor DVD testimony booklet and video that they can watch. Call us today, 1-800-247-3051. That's 1-800-247-3051. You can also go to our websites, friendshipwithgod.org. That's friendshipwithgod.org or israelrestoration.org. We have lots of free resources and materials available on our websites, as well as some materials that you can order from Tom Cantor. So check out our websites or call us today, 1-800-247-3051, or look for us on Facebook under Friendship with God, Israel Restoration, or Tom Cantor. Or again, call us 1-800-247-3051. Thanks for listening.